All right, welcome back to another episode of Credal Catholic. My guest today is Sarah Christmeyer, first time guest on Credal Catholic, but I'm very excited to talk to her because she is a scholar of scripture and an advocate of how Catholics seem to be engaging more and more with scripture. So Sarah, welcome to Credal Catholic. Thank you, Zach. I'm really glad to be here. I'm very excited to have you here and talk about the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program and just how to get more Catholics involved in Scripture and your latest book project. So we'll get to all that, but let me read just very briefly a bio of you for my listeners so that they know a little bit more about who you are and your background, and then we'll just dive right in. So Sarah Chris Meyer is a Catholic author, Bible teacher, and speaker with a special love for Lectio Divina and journaling as ways to draw close to Christ in Scripture. She is the co-developer and founding editor of the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program and the author or co-author of more than a dozen books and Bible studies. Her latest book, which we'll talk about, is Becoming Women of the Word, How to Answer God's Call with Purpose and Joy. Sarah serves as an adjunct faculty member at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia and as a board member of the Malvern Retreat House in Malvern, Pennsylvania. If you want to follow her work, you can go to her blog at comeintotheword.com. So Sarah, I like to ask people who are scripture scholars and who have spent the better part of their lives studying scripture, how long has it been since you've been studying scripture? And maybe tell me exactly how or where or when you first fell in love with the word of God. Hmm. How long is it is a uh, delicate question because probably since before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have been reading scripture my entire life. I started to study it probably in high school, just in Bible studies, informal Bible studies, uh, took a couple of classes in college. And then after that, um, mostly have been self-taught just in studying for my own knowledge. I did go to um, uh, get my master's in theology after I became a Catholic and uh, have studied I just, I love to study to begin with, and I love scripture, and I always want to know more. So it's been kind of a life pursuit of mine. And when I first developed my love for it, uh, I actually can remember, um, for some reason, at one point, I was maybe 14, my dad gave me an assignment, which was to look in a concordance, which is a, kind of like an index of themes in the Bible, find all the references of, of love, and go through the Bible and let him know what I found. And as I went through and started reading what the Bible had to say about love, I got hooked and I just have been studying ever since. That's great. And I didn't realize that you were a convert, but I was actually going to ask you that because it's rare that you find a Catholic who grew up studying scripture because I think, mm -hmm. unfortunately, but I think it's certainly the case that many Catholics simply don't, or they think that it's not accessible enough. They don't have their own copies, certainly not their own copies of study Bibles. If they do have their own copy of the Bible, they rarely crack it open. So do you credit your Protestant upbringing with your love for scripture? And can you tell me just very briefly about your journey into the church? Cause I'm a Catholic, I'm, I'm a convert as well. And, um, wow. I, you know, I, I need to have more of a love for scripture and I need to read it more, but I did grow up with a pretty good knowledge of scripture because I had parents who came to Christ in the Baptist church, and that was really a formative part of my upbringing is engaging with scripture. And I'm really grateful for that foundation because of what it gave me and ultimately because of where it led, to, led me, which is to the Catholic church. Yeah, I think that, um, and you probably can relate to this, it was as though scripture was our sacrament. <laughs> that was the place where I learned to meet God. And we read the Bible all the time, you know, and my parents read it to us 
in story form. We read it after dinner. We read it before we went to bed. We had our quiet time in the morning. You know, anytime we got together with other Christians, it was around scripture and prayer. So that was how I learned to get to know God. And it was difficult, I have to say, becoming Catholic. I became Catholic 30 years ago. And there were not very many Catholics who read the Bible at all. And it was very hard to learn how to have any kind of fellowship or relationship around the faith um, when people didn't read scripture. So that's actually how I got started teaching. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, it, it seems to me that many of our are sort of popular, and I know you you know and have worked with Jeff Cavins, right? But an, another example of someone who was Protestant and when he became Catholic, took with him that love and appreciation, love of and appreciation for scripture. So in many respects, this exodus of Protestants into the Catholic church is a great gift for the church or can be a great gift for the church because it can revitalize the church's engagement with scripture. Yeah, and vice versa too, I think. Um, I remember in the early days when people would say to me, oh, we don't know anything. You know, we're so glad that you bring all this life and teaching and everything into the church. And I say, you have no idea what you're giving to me. <laughs> and just learning, uh, you know, getting into the liturgy, into the uh, the flow of the of the liturgical year and the sacraments. It was just such a depth of richness and um maybe a different type of prayer. Uh, it just really added a great deal to me as well. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and I also totally agree with what you're saying about the, um, about the gift that, that the Catholic church can give to Protestants. You know, it's certainly not a one way street. And I have friends who say to me, I wish I was a convert because I see the way that you think about the faith. And then I say to them, like, I wish I was a cradle Catholic because I see the way that you have been steeped in the faith and brought up in the faith. So I think it's mm -hmm. good to recognize that God has us where we are and places us where we are, obviously calls us all into the church, but we can each you know, bring something to the table because of those backgrounds. Yes, absolutely. Well, so as someone who was Protestant, grew up Protestant with this great appreciation of scripture, when you're talking to a Catholic and you're trying to make the case for why they should be more engaging with scripture, engaging with scripture more regularly, what are some of the things that you point to? What are some of the reasons why Catholics should engage with scripture more than they do? Um, maybe one of the basic reasons is that if they do, they will get a whole lot more out of mass. Um, I remember I used to, to go to Mass and sit on the edge of my seat listening to the Liturgy of the Word and just so excited by all the connections that there were and the, the depth of the riches that hearing Scripture in the Liturgy brings to it. Um, while everybody else kind of sat around me sort of tired and falling asleep until we got to the Liturgy of the Eucharist, whereupon I started to fall asleep and they all perked up <laughs> because I did not really get the Eucharist at the beginning. Um, but one of the things that we heard, uh, we probably heard it hundreds of times, maybe thousands through the Great Adventure Program, is that when people learn the overall story of Scripture and they know who the main people are, what the places are, what the key events are, how they're fulfilled in Christ, they will call me after Mass and say, did you hear the readings today? And they will get so excited because that starts to make sense. And why they get baptized starts to make sense and everything about their faith, because the Catholic faith is scriptural. 
you know, I, I don't think I knew that as a Protestant. Um, but when you get to know the scripture, then your faith becomes alive. So that's the first, the first reason I would tell people. After that, um, how else are you going to get to know really who God is and that he's, that he can be trusted? Um, that is what the scripture has done for me is to, to, to teach me what the character is of God, how he acts, what it means that he loves us, um, how we can have faith in him, how we can live according to that faith um, and get to know Jesus Christ. The whole scripture is about Jesus Christ. And that's a main way that God gave us to reveal himself, who he is and who Jesus is. And so if you, if you're ignorant of scripture, you're ignorant of, of Christ. I, I love that the way you, you phrase that ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And I think that's a paraphrase of St. Jerome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that's so important too. Now it is certainly true that if as a Catholic, you're going to mass regularly, especially daily, you are getting a healthy diet of scripture. Do you think it's important on top of that to be having your own personal reading time with scripture? Yes. I know that's hard, especially if you're going to daily mass, but especially if you grew up and you didn't really learn scripture, you don't know the overall story, you don't know who the people are, uh, it's not really going to make sense. And I've... Um, <laughs> Think think about mass as uh, like our Thanksgiving meal. It's like a big, huge family dinner where we all get together, saints and you know the people around us. We're all at this dinner, and if if you went to say you came to my Thanksgiving dinner, literally Thanksgiving the the holiday. You would sit there and all of us would be talking about all kinds of things, you know, what Uncle Frank did at this time. And, you know, you tell half a story and everybody starts cracking up and you, the outsider, would not have a clue of what was going on. That's kind of what it's like to go to mass and not to know scripture. So, so number one, read it for the knowledge that you'll have and for the ability to enter in more fully when you do hear the liturgy of the word. But the other thing is, uh, there's something that you get by reading and praying with scripture, not to learn it, but almost to have it read you. Uh, that's what the practice of Lexio Divina is all about. You allow, you, you get your soul into a position where you are actually receiving the word and allowing it to write itself in your heart to kind of read your life and transform you from the inside out. Um, I don't know where else you get that. And, um, there's just something about praying with scripture that is hugely transformative and that brings the life of Christ into you in a really rich way that I would encourage everybody to, to take hold of. I like your description of that and your reference to the word being something that is interactive, that engages us as well, because I think we often think that this is a static stale book, or we, we can at least fall into this trap, right? Because if I pick up any number of books on my bookshelf, it is they are static and they are stale, right? They might say yeah. really good things, but they were written a long time ago by a man or a woman who certainly was not God. The Bible is not that, right? We can often think that this is just another collection of books, but scripture tells us, that the writer to the Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Benedict the Sixteenth, one of my heroes, writes a lot about the word of God and how Christians are people of the word, but by word, he doesn't just mean like a lexicon. It's not simply in a, uh, in a, a lexicon sense. 
but rather the word of God is, uh, it, it is creative fundamentally, which is why when God says, let there be light, he speaks the word and it, it is light. And so when we think about that, the word of God means so much more than simply a collection of books. I think this helps me understand a little bit more too about how the words of institution that the priest says in, in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, can have the effect of effect. They they can affect the the uh, transubstantiation. So, can we talk a little bit more about that? Like, how do we make sense of this idea of the Word of God? How is this different than a simple instruction manual or a record of Christians in times past? To me, I think the the best picture of that would be to think of the Blessed Mother. Uh, you think of Mary. She heard the Word of God. She received it. She listened to it. She allowed it to enter into her deeply. And she said yes to that, whereupon it began to grow inside her to the point where, and she pondered it. She didn't understand it necessarily. You know, she had to ponder it, to think about it, allow it to dwell within her. And then it became living and active and actually was born from her as Christ. Well, we receive the word of God, we receive him in a number of ways. So it's not just scripture, you know, we've got the Eucharist and prayer and so on, but all of this is his life coming into us. And when we receive it and we allow it to do its work inside of us, kind of like a plant, you know, it sends down roots and then it actually grows into something. We give birth to Christ in the world, not the same way Mary did necessarily, but in our attitudes and our actions, you know, the fruits of the spirit, we, we start being joyful and loving and forgiving because Christ begins to live within us. He's the living word. The word is not just written. You know, he's the, the living word of God. This is one way, in addition to the Eucharist, that we can get him inside of ourselves and have him start to live through us in our relationships with other people and so on in the world. When you draw the connection between Mary and the incarnation and how we can say yes to the word of God and then express Jesus out in the world as well, that makes it a little bit more concrete to me because in the incarnation, the gospel of John tells us the word was made flesh. Uh, and that, that alone is so powerful. I mean, that you can dwell for forever on the mysteries of the incarnation, but there is, I mean, do you think it's appropriate to think of sort of a parallel to the, re, to the incarnation when we ingest the word of God and then live it out in the world as Christ is lived through us? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I think. So yeah. how should Catholics study scripture? Because I know you're a big fan of Lectio Divina. I also know that you co-founded the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program. Uh, and by the way, I have right here on my desk, I have the Great Adventure Catholic um, Bible, which is oh, great. And, uh, and I'm doing, and I encourage my listeners to do this as well. I'm doing the, the read along with Father Mike Schmidt's The Bible in a Year program. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's been going really well so far, and I love it. Um, so I encourage my listeners to do that. But I think there are other ways to study scripture as well. And, you know, you can do a sort of Bible in the year program. I guess you could read more topically. You could do Lectio Divina. You could read thematically. You could just go through sequentially in the Bible. So, I mean, what are some things that come to mind for you, Sarah, that have been successful for you or for your students in the past um, on how they can better engage with scripture personally? So the reason I had gotten involved with Jeff uh, Cavins and the um, the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study Program to begin with is that 
what I noticed when I started um, leading Bible studies with Catholics was that say you just go to mass all the time and you hear, you know, you hear your way through scripture every few years or whatever. Um, but not many people really know how it hangs together. And the whole idea behind the Bible timeline is that you get the big picture before you study the, the pieces. And what that provides for you is a, uh, well, I guess for people who don't know what the Great Adventure Bible Timeline program is, it's a, it's a simple way of getting the, the big picture of the story of salvation history as it is written in scripture so that you can, um, uh, anyway, starting from, starting from Genesis, going through up to the Gospels, we do touch on Revelation as well. Uh, but Jeff's genius in coming up with the Bible timeline was to pull out just 14 books that if you read through those, you get the big picture. And then based on that, and then dividing it up into particular time periods and um, learning what they are because there's a nice color-coded system to go through it. Um, anyway, once you get those 14 books down, you can easily see how the other books fit into that. And so when you read them, they fall into context. So it's, um, uh, to me, getting that big picture, there, there was a, a woman I knew who came to me and said, you know what? I feel as though prior to this, I read the Bible, reading the Bible was like looking through a doily and I could see all these little spots and some of them were beautiful colors and some of them were really kind of ugly and I didn't understand them. But when I got that big picture, it's like someone pulled the doily away and suddenly I could see what the picture looked like and those little pieces started to make sense. And so to me, that is the starting point, you know, whether you do it through the Bible timeline or you do it some other way, just to get that big picture is the starting point. But you don't stop there. <laughs> and as you said, there are there are many different ways. I think that um, we should differentiate between study and reading and praying. Maybe those are kind of three different levels. Uh, if you don't know a lot about theology or the Bible, I recommend always being studying something or, you know, periodically, because the more you understand, the better your experience of reading is going to be. And if what you want to do is to spend time with Jesus in his word, to meet him and hear from him, you need to understand what he's saying. So I don't think it's either or. I think that, um, that both are needed. And, um, if you're studying, there are a lot of programs out there now. There didn't used to be, but there are a lot of programs. Some uh, are, are related to particular books of the Bible. You know, make sure you get at least one gospel, maybe more than one. Um, study some of the books of the Old Testament. You know, you can kind of pick and choose and, and get, get books of the Bible. But there are also wonderful thematic studies. You know, learn about faith or how to find hope or love or all, all these different themes, the covenants, different themes that go through scripture. You can learn a lot through them. Some of those are tailored toward people doing them individually, but I think group study is a good thing to get involved in because you encourage each other. And at least for me, without a structure back in the day, it was hard for me to make sure that I got stuff done. So structured Bible study is good. Let's see, also, I think to have a habit of Bible reading where you just spend time with the Lord. 
So if I wanted to get to know you, um, it would be pretty hard for me to, you know, sit in Pennsylvania while you're in Colorado. I'd have to come and hang out with you sometimes. And maybe the more time we spent together, um, sometimes it would be exciting and fun and whatever. And other times it might even be kind of boring, <laughs> right? But I think even when we're with our friends, even those boring times, when we're spending time together, you're getting to know them, how they act in certain situations, uh, things that maybe they want you to know that you don't care about, but it's important for you to know. That's what it's like reading scripture on an, on an, on an ongoing basis, just getting to know God. Great analogy. Uh, I like that a lot, especially the part where it's like, some, 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 sometimes it'll be boring, right? I mean, when you're reading through the Bible, if you're just going cover to cover, You'll get through Genesis. There's some good stories in Genesis. Genesis is not very boring. And then you get into Exodus, same thing. There's some boring passages, but not very boring. And then you hit a brick wall at Leviticus, right? Because you're diving deep into the Levitical law. And I think I've met a lot of people who have probably read through the whole Bible, but they didn't do it sequentially because they hit Leviticus and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else and I'll come back to this, right? So I think it is good to have a an expectation up front that it's not always going to be super exciting edge of your seat, nonstop action. There are some passages in there that tell us something about God's character, but require, I think some, some wisdom, probably some prayerful sort of sitting with the, the passages to help us engage with them and understand it. So I like that. I also liked your description of the great adventure Catholic Bible study timeline or the great adventure timeline. Um, and I would again, commend that to my listeners. I know that there are a ton of resources uh, along those lines on the website of Ascension Press. And the Great Adventure Catholic Bible also has the timeline right in it. I was looking in my Bible at the timeline as you were um, talking through it, the 14 books that make up the timeline. And I agree. I think this is a really good way and helpful way to break up what we call the meta-narrative of salvation history. I mean, the the I've heard people describe, it sounds kind of cheeky and I don't love the description, but I've heard people describe the book as God's love letter to his people. And I don't, I don't like that entirely because it does sound a little bit too cheeky and it's so much more than that. But there is that element of it, right? That this is God telling us the story of salvation. And what the Great Adventure timeline does is breaks down that timeline very neatly for us. So we start with the early world and the patriarchs. And then Egypt and Exodus, the desert wanderings, like we talked about in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the conquest and the judges, the royal kingdom, the divided kingdom, the exile, the return, the Maccabean revolt, and then the messianic fulfillment in the gospels. And then finally, of course, the church, which is the age in which we still find ourselves, the, the, the drama in which we find ourselves as actors today. So I think that's really good. Um, to do that. I love the Great Adventure Bible Study resources for helping people get more involved in scripture. And I think that's really important. But I also like what you said about kind of the three kinds of engagement, uh, reading, study, and prayer, I think you said. So mm -hmm. so reading is just like, that's what I'm doing with this Bible in a year, right? I don't pour over every single passage that I read and study it intensely. That would be study. And although I I pray and try to engage prayerfully, it's not Lectio Divina, right? And that would be, I think, probably in the mm -hmm. prayer category. But my question for you uh, is, what advice do you have for someone who has tried Lectio Divina and it hasn't worked? Because that's, I'm describing myself there, right? I'm a very uh, analytically minded person. I get impatient very quickly. Uh, Lectio Divina, when I'm reading a passage slowly, multiple times through, and then just sitting with it, 
it's hard for me to find that to be spiritually beneficial. I mean, the answer might be as simple as like, keep trying it and, uh, and be patient with it. But what else would you say to someone like me who has had trouble doing Lectio Divina in the past? Um, that's actually where I would start that you have to do it on a regular basis and do not expect fireworks every single time. Uh, and it's, just what I was saying about developing a relationship with someone. But I think that we want to be in charge of what God tells us. We want to be in charge of saying, hey, God, I want you to be exciting tonight. I want you to speak to this or speak to that, rather than putting ourselves in a position of listening and saying, hey, God, what do you want to say to me? And he may just want you that time to listen to him and not get anything out of it. There, there is spiritual value in that. So I think that the, the habit of doing it every day, I do it every day. Uh, many, many days are boring. I'll just say that right out there. Um, what the way, this is how I learned to read the Bible though when I was in high school. So every night I would read it before I went to bed and say I started in Matthew, you know, Matthew chapter one is not very interesting. I have to say, especially if you haven't studied it. <laughs> So I just, back then, what I would do is I would just read like I read any book. I would read until something grabbed me. And then, you know, you pray first and then read until something grabbed me. And then I would go over and over and over to that, see if the Lord was saying anything to me and thank him for it. If I didn't, if nothing really struck my mind, I would still just thank you, thank him for it, thank him for being with me, for his word that I could meet him in, and then I'd go on. The next night, do it again. And enough times he really did speak to me. I think when I was a teenager, I started here, and mainly when I was reading St. Paul's letters, uh, he really hit me directly between the eyes and a bunch of, uh, <laughs> bunch of behaviors that I was wrongly involved in at the time. So it was really direct. But as I've gotten older, I just appreciate, um, I don't know, just spending time there and being with him. And uh, I, I do think that sometimes he wants us just to read and we're being obedient to being with him and allowing him to direct that. So now, is, that, is that sort of what you were looking for? Or? Yeah, absolutely. That helps. Uh, another thing I was going to ask, and this might be, might be relevant to some of my listeners as well. Catholics are very comfortable praying the Our Father, Hail Mary, et cetera, often less comfortable with extemporaneous prayers. And so when you're praying before you open up the scriptures, whether or not you're, you're you know, just opening it to read or to intensely study or to, to practice Lectio Divina, what what should that prayer look like? The prayer coming from the heart, asking God to illumine our hearts with, with scripture. What, what types of things would you recommend that Catholics, uh, you know, heart, heartfully pray for? So uh, you, I mean, I think I pray something different every time. Sometimes it is simple as, you know, quoting Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, <laughs> trying to put myself trying to get myself out of the driver's seat and put myself in that receptive posture of being a servant and listening to the Lord. Um, I'll say, come Holy Spirit, you know, uh, please speak to me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a formula, really. I do have a bunch of prayers that are good that I read before study. I think I have some on my website. Um, but honestly, I just try to put myself in the Lord's presence and say, thank you for your word. Um, and then I read it. 
and if and I just keep reading it and I I do repeat a lot. I think repeating is very important. We today like to get stuff instantaneously, but it's kind of like planting a seed. You know, you have to dig a hole and put it down in there and then you water it. It takes a while before the roots form. And um, the more you repeat it, even if you memorize it, get it in there, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your mind. Sometimes the, the roots will grow unobtrusively. Think about Mary receiving the word. It's a long time before she knew she was pregnant. So, you know, after being pregnant four times, I know it takes a little while, but that doesn't mean nothing's happening. And you will be surprised at the way the Holy Spirit will suddenly sort of whisper in your ear and bring something to mind that you have been reading that maybe didn't mean much to you back then, but all of a sudden it's connecting with your life. So you want to get it in there where he can, where he can work. You know, that's such a simple point, but I don't think I've thought about that before, how Mary gave her fiat, her yes to God. And then it was probably a while before she noticed anything about that, right? Notice any fruit of that, quite literally the fruit of her womb, but it would be a while before the fruit of her yes to God would be made known even to her. So that's, that's a really good point. Thanks for mentioning Mm -hmm. that. So I'm also glad you said that your prayers are not formulaic because I think that's, that's really kind of what I wanted to hear and what I want listeners to hear because it's an attitude of the heart and it doesn't need to be formulaic. It's not a, it's not a hocus pocus magic formula, right? It's about having a posture of attentiveness, having a heart open to the words of scripture. So maybe those words from Samuel, Samuel speak, Lord, your servant is listening are a great place to start. Um, as a final question, as, as, as far as I want to ask you a little bit about your other work, but as a final question for my listeners who are thinking, okay, I need to double down and, and, and really try to study and um, engage with scripture on my own, where would you recommend they start? Like if this is day one and they're about to read something, is there a good place to start? Uh, maybe it's just Genesis 1. Maybe it's a really exciting story that can get them hooked. Uh, maybe it's a passage from the Gospels. What would you say? Uh, to most Catholics, I would say start with a gospel and uh, start building your habit there. Um, I normally would read a gospel, say I'd start with a gospel, and then I might go back to Genesis, and then maybe I'd read one of Paul's letters, and then maybe i do Exodus. And I like kind of going back and forth. Um, I would definitely try to do something like the Bible timeline to get get that whole picture because, you know, a lot of people have trouble with the Old Testament because there are all these passages where God, you know, you see his wrath and his anger. And if you just take those little pieces, it's really hard to make sense of them. But it's in getting the whole story that you see that his love undergirds all of that. And um, in college, I had taken a class where we had to read the whole story. We had to read it chronologically through. And I'd been reading the Bible my whole life, but I had never done it that way. And I was floored by the love of God that comes through the Old Testament and the way he loves and loves and loves in spite of the way they are so bad. <laughs> you know, the the people, the people of Israel are leaving them at every chance they can get. And they're double crossing him and cheating on him and forgetting him. And he just loves them. And I thought, you know what? That's how he loves me. And um, I have had times in my life when I've wandered away from God or turned my back on him. And hello, he's right there tapping on my shoulder, ready to take me back. And I have complete faith in him, partly because of knowing that story. So once again, 
I, I uh, highly recommend doing the whole story. And, you know, you've mentioned the, the Bible timeline a few times. Um, I love that you're going through with Father Mike Schmitz right now and just hearing because you're actually hearing the word of God spoken and then his uh, commentary with it is wonderful. Um, if you wanted to go back and read through those 14 narrative books again, uh, one of the the resources that we have at Ascension is the Bible Timeline Guided Journal that I wrote to help people as they read through it by themselves to remind them of all those things. Cause you may forget what father Mike said, you know, you might forget what Jeff Caven said in the teaching tape or whatever, but here it's all in the journal. So that as you're reading, it reminds you of the main points and it, it uh, just gives you little hints to go on as you read through the story. So that's a nice place to start to read on your own. And I'm going to link to that as well as the whole great adventure Bible study timeline program in the show notes as well. So you can look at that. You can look at the journal that, uh, that you wrote, Sarah. Um, another thing that you've written recently, becoming women of the word. I want to ask you briefly about this, uh, and let you talk about your own more recent work a little bit. Why did you write this book and who's the intended audience and what are you hoping that people get from it? Okay. The, uh, the entire title is becoming women of the word, how to answer God's call with purpose and joy. And, um, it, it, it kind of came out of a, well, first of all, it's the thing that is not obvious from the title is that it's a bit of a journey through the Old Testament, through the eyes of the women, the major women who were in the Old Testament. And it's kind of taking that, taking that uh, journey that starts out in, e, in, uh, in, um, Genesis with the fall, and then how do people pick up after that? How do they get to know God? How do they learn they can trust him? Uh, and how does that unfold all the way through till we get to Mary? And I looked at it through the viewpoint of these, uh, the various women who do end up pointing to Mary at the end. Um, but as far as the how to answer God's call with purpose and joy, this came a lot out of my own experience in coming to know God and making a decision to follow him as opposed to following my own way. And in my life, that took the form of deciding to become Catholic, which was a very difficult thing for me. And I write about that in here. Um, but I think that the, the women in the Old Testament, particularly because it's the female principle that is the receptive principle. Um, it teaches all of us how we answer God's call. How do we say yes to God? How do we trust him? What does faith look like on the receptive side? Because until we do that, we can't go forth like Abraham. You know, you have to have Mary before you have Peter. And we tend to kind of pit them against each other, but uh, God created us male and female in his image, both complementary, you know, the complementarity is so important. And it's important in terms of how we live our faith also. And it's not only women who live out the feminine principle, and it's not only men who live out the masculine. We need to know both. So I felt like the, the feminine side had gotten a little bit of short shrift. So I did do it as a, a kind of a journey through the Bible. And um, what I do is I start with Eve, go through to Mary, and with each of the major women, 
I pair them with someone from my own life who had a, a heavy impact on my own faith and on my understanding of what it means to follow God and to answer his call. So each one of those women is paired with someone today because I wanted people to know that they're relatable. You know, just because they're from the Old Testament doesn't mean they're, you know, some untouchable whatever. They, they are so much like us, you wouldn't believe it. So uh, that's a little bit about the book. Um, I guess you would think it was for women, but uh, I know quite a few men who have really liked it very much. So it's not just for women. Um, and I hope people will read it and find out more how to answer God's call in their own life. It sounds like a great book and a fantastic premise. I think I'm going to pick up a copy because it sounds really interesting. And I think my wife would enjoy it as well. And you're very right about the feminine principle being undervalued or given short shrift. You know, I was at a group of, uh, of men at my Catholic parish last night and they were, they were just talking about some of the sort of cultural frustrations that they have with society right now. And, uh, the, the general tone was like, we need to do something. We need to be men of action, et cetera. It's up to us to do something. And, um, and some of us said like, well, let's hold on. Like, I think maybe before we even ask that question, before we ask, what do we do? We need to ask, what is God doing? Right. And what is God doing in our lives in this moment right now? Um, and, but, I, but I think our ultimate model in that is Mary and, and all of these, these types of Mary in the old Testament that you're writing about. So it's a, it sounds like a timely book and a, a very intriguing one. So how can my listeners follow more of your work? I think I talked about come into the word.com. I'm going to link that in the show notes. I'm going to link your new book. I'm going to link your great adventure Bible study journal. What else should they know about and how can they follow you? Uh, the best way to follow me is through, uh, my website and through my blog, um, I also have a couple of small guided journals that I've written to help people learn how to pray through the Psalms. And it's basically uh, one, one of the things I discovered in, in helping people to pray using Lexio Divina, which is a very prayerful reading of scripture, is that just what you mentioned, they don't like to repeat. <laughs> and some, I guess it was one Lent, I decided to go through the penitential Psalms and I was writing reflections on them. And somebody said to me, I just don't know where you get all of this. And I realized that I had been meditating on that one Psalm for an entire week. And it only starts coming after I had meditated on it for a while. So what I did was I, I figured out a way to kind of spread the steps of Lexio Divina over the course of a week so that you are focusing on one Psalm for the entire week, every day reading it. And you start out with a reflection from me, but then learning to listen to the Lord. And that listening comes, um, I should say the hearing comes, sometimes uh, the work gets done when you're sleeping or sometime during the course of the day. So you get back to it the next day, you read it again, you see something new. The next day you read something new. And then I ask different questions to kind of bring you along to the next phase um, until you're praying with that scripture. So I did one um, called Create in Me a Clean Heart, which is a good one to do over Lent because it does go through the, the penitential Psalms one a week during Lent. And the other one is called Lord Make Haste to Help Me, Seven Psalms to Pray in Times of Need. And I took my seven go-to psalms when I am in trouble and I broke them down in the same way. So those are two other things that you'll find along with a bunch of other stuff on my website. Great, well, thank you so much. And once again, to my listeners, that website is comeintotheword.com. 
Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today on Credo Catholic. It's been a pleasure. To my listeners, if you have a question for Sarah, you can reach out to me, Zach at CredoCatholic.com, C-A-C at CredoCatholic.com. And I'd be happy to put you in touch with Sarah or forward your question along to her. So please do that. Sarah, once again, thank you for coming on Credo Catholic. Thank you very much. And God bless you as you read his word. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. And until next time, God bless you. Mm-hmm.